You can turn in your Bibles to Hebrews 1. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. Yesterday, for uh, the first time in my adult life, I spent a couple hours putting up Christmas lights on our house. I guess the Ristow household has officially inaugurated the Christmas season. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I saw that uh, the coffee shop I usually go to uh, recently launched their campaign to uh, get a piece of the $600 billion Christmas industry. Uh, they introduced some seasonal drinks. Uh, a, few, a couple of them are called the, the Fala Latte. Another one's called the Ho-Ho Mint Mocha. I'm not sure who they're marketing these drinks to, but I don't think they're marketing them to people like me. I just I struggle to walk up to any counter at any retail restaurant and say, uh, yes, I'd like a Ho-Ho Mint Mocha, please. But uh, the... Uh, Holiday season is obviously upon us. Uh, Christmas is is coming, and uh, along with Christmas will come its fair share of controversy, uh, disagreement over what should be celebrated or not celebrated in uh, public schools. Uh, we'll have some of the predictable campaigns uh, on the uh, quote-unquote war on Christmas. Uh, the uh, particular family controversies that exist in your family will probably inevitably come up at the Christmas family dinner table, and uh, finally the annual emphasis, at least in Christian circles, on uh, uh, making sure we, we keep Christmas about Jesus uh, will be in full swing. And I, I remember struggling with this concept as a, as a kid. We need, to, we need to make sure we keep Christmas about Jesus. It would be a couple days before Christmas break, and I would just be daydreaming about, uh, of course, the presents that were to come, and time with family, and getting to spend time with my cousins, and then, oh yeah, that's right, we got to keep Christmas about Jesus, though. It's supposed to be about Jesus. I don't know, for some reason, you got to sit up straight when we keep Christmas about, it's got to be about Jesus. And it's just no wonder that some people, when you just consider all the hubbub, ask, is Christmas even worth celebrating? Well, interestingly enough, I think Hebrews 1, 1 through 3 can help inform our minds and our hearts as we enter the next holiday season. Hebrews 1, 1-3. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom He also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. Let's pray. God, even as we sang... To our souls, bless the Lord, O my soul. And even as we sang with our voices, bless the Lord, O my soul. God, allow our hearts in these next few moments together to continue to bless the Lord Jesus.
apart from Your grace, these, these next moments will be a waste of time. So, come and illumine Your Word and Your truth to us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is part two of uh, a look at uh, the eight roles of Jesus that are laid out in uh, Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. Uh, about a month ago, we looked at God's roles as uh, God's Son. And then underneath His role as God's Son, we considered Him as the heir, and we considered Jesus as Creator. And uh, that's why you're little sermon handout starts with number four this morning. This morning we'll look at Jesus as radiance, Jesus as representative, Jesus as sustainer, Jesus as priest, and Jesus as king. Eternal life is described in John 17 as knowing God and knowing Jesus Christ. So may God be gracious as we consider Jesus. And we start with Jesus, the radiance of the glory of God. In verse 3, Jesus as radiance. Uh, what, what is radiance? Uh, as we consider radiance, you, you don't have to look any farther than your own home, probably or potentially. Two things that radiate, that might even be in your house, a light bulb radiates light. Some of you might even have radiators in your home that radiate heat. Uh, perhaps the best example of, of radi- uh, something that radiates is uh, fire. That would combine both these two things. Fire radiates heat. Fire radiates light. You, you, you can't separate the heat from the fire. You, you can't separate the light from the fire. So as, as Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, there's, there's union committed, or communicated here. The closer your hand gets to the flame, the more your hand experiences heat. So God's Son, the, God's Son, the radiance of God's Son demonstrates His union with the Father, His oneness with the Father. The Father is never without the Son. Uh, he is always shining out the sun. And then the sun is never without the Father. The sun is always shining out from the Father. So what do we learn based on the fact that God radiates? Uh, if you look it up in the dictionary, radiate means to emit energy, especially light or heat. To radiate is, is to diverge or, or to spread from. So something clear about the nature of God is communicated in the fact that He radiates. Uh, what does this tell us about what God isn't like? Well, God isn't then like a vacuum. He, he doesn't suck things up. He's not continually gathering things to Himself. He, he doesn't consume and devour. Uh, the glory of God is not revealed as, as God uh, is given more and more and more and more. No, God's glory is revealed as He radiates out. As Paul says in Acts 17.25, speaking to the Athenians, God, God is not served by human hands as though He needed anything, since He Himself gives to all mankind 
life and breath and everything. So what does this tell us about God? God's disposition is not inward-focused and self-serving, but, but outward-focused and overflowing. God doesn't suck in. He radiates out. And the radiance of His glory is the sun. And, and the sun doesn't just reflect God's glory. Uh, another improper analogy would be uh, like the sun and the moon. It's, it's not as though the Father is like the sun and, and the sun is like the moon reflecting off the sun's light. No, uh, the sun radiates God's glory as part of God's glory. He is one with God. And, and as God reveals His glory, what is felt and what is seen and what is heard is Jesus Christ. It's interesting, in, in our houses, we don't necessarily delight in our light bulbs. We delight in the light that the light bulbs create. And similarly, we, we don't delight in our radiators that, that take up space in our homes, but we do delight in the, in the heat that the radiators produce. And similarly, as Christians, we delight in the sun. We, we delight in Jesus Christ. And, and lest you think that would offend God the Father... Look at what God the Father says of Jesus. Just consider what He says at Jesus' baptism. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Or what God says at Jesus' transfiguration. Peter was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. Matthew 17. Five. Uh, Jesus even ups the ante when he says in, in John 14, He who loves me will be loved by my Father. So it's not as though we offend the Father by, by delighting in the Son. Uh, God the Father actually loves us because we love the Son. And as the radiance of God's glory, Christians find particular delight in God's Son. But, but Jesus isn't just the radiance of God's glory. Jesus is also the, the representative of God's glory. He's the exact imprint of His nature. So we move next to Jesus as representative. And, and if, if radiance communicates union, representation perhaps communicates distinction. So even as, even as the Son is distinguished from the Father, uh, the analogy... Uh, from uh, a couple times ago, was of, of two coins. Uh, even as even as he's distinct from the Father, he, he's an exact copy. He he demonstrates the God's nature, the Father's nature exactly. Uh, many things in the world reveal God's nature. We we read in Romans one that ever since the creation of the world, God's attributes have been clearly perceived in the things that have been made. So, so as we look at the heavens, the, the sun, the moon, and the stars, and as, as we look at uh, the earth, the, the mountains and rivers and oceans, uh, weather patterns and, and, and wildlife, uh, the, all these things reveal general things about God to us. This is why theologians call all these things general revelation. General revelation. But, but Christ... Christ Jesus reveals God to us perfectly, exactly. Uh, there's a connection between Jesus Christ and, and, and the, or I guess maybe the helpful way to say it, there's a connection between the Son of God 
and, and the Word of God that reveal God to us very clearly as opposed to generally in nature. Uh, John, in the beginning of his Gospel, calls Jesus the Word of God. Both the written Word and the incarnate Word reveal God to us more specifically. So in, or, in order to reveal God to us more perfectly, Jesus has to share in God's divine identity. In order to give us the exact imprint of God's nature, He has to share in the divine identity. So, so we have general information about God, general revelation from God in nature. We, we have special information, special revelation about God in Scripture. But God doesn't even leave us here. We have exact information, revelation about God in Christ. This, this is one reason why it's ludicrous to continue to seek divine revelation from God. Uh, seeking continued revelation, whether it's vague or specific, it, it both ignores and it undermines uh, the trajectory that we see in Scripture. Right? Look at verse 1. Long ago, God spoke at many times and in many ways by the prophets, but in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. Now, obviously, Jesus isn't with us in the same way that He was with His his disciples in, in 38 A.D., yet we have a whole testament of the Bible that's committed to showing us who Jesus is, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and what Jesus taught, Acts through Revelation, the, the end of your Bible. So Christians do not honor the all-sufficiency of the Scriptures or Jesus Christ by pursuing God primarily in ways that were marked by times long ago before God revealed Himself in Christ. We know God through Jesus Christ. John writes, No one has ever seen God, but the only God who is at the Father's side, the Son, He has made Him known. Or Jesus says to Philip, Whoever has seen Me has seen the Father. John 14.9 Paul writes uh, what was read by David earlier, Colossians 1.15, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the exact imprint of God's nature. So, as radiance and representative, we, we see unity and, and distinction. As radiance, Jesus shines out the Father's glory, showing us what the Father is like. There, there is complete unity between the Father and the Son. And then as representative, we find out exactly what God's nature is like, even as the Son is shown to be distinct from the Father, an exact copy. So, so Jesus' roles as, as radiance and representative help us understand who Jesus is, but now we turn to some more roles that tell us what Jesus does. So we move now to number six, Jesus as sustainer. Jesus as sustainer. We, we saw a month ago that Jesus is the creator of the universe, but He doesn't just create the universe. He also sustains the universe. A very interesting and important question that we never spend any time as human beings considering, uh, unless you're in a freshman philosophy class, why does the universe continue to exist? Why does the universe continue to exist? Not how does it continue to exist, but why does it continue 
to exist. Some of you might have seen a, a news story that circulated a couple weeks ago. Uh, apparently, uh, astronomers have, uh, they're, they're observing a way that uh, potentially tells us how planet Earth uh, might be destroyed someday. So uh, what's taking place 570 light years from Earth in the constellation Virgo, uh, there is a star much like our sun that, that's coming to the end of its life, and relatively close to uh, this, this star is a small planet, uh, somewhat like Earth, which is being destroyed, vaporized, and, and ripped apart as uh, this, this sun, the star, comes to the end of its life. Uh, I, I, apparently what happens when, when stars like our sun reach the end of their, their lives, uh, they, run, they run out of hydrogen, that's, that's how they uh, continue to run, uh, they swell into an object that's 100 or 200 times its, its normal size, and they call these things red giants. And uh, after a while, that red giant collapses into a much smaller body that uh, we call, or astronomers call, white dwarfs, if you've heard of you've heard of them. The white dwarf has an incredible amount of gravity, much more than uh, the star that it once was possessed. And uh, it has so much gravity because of its density. Apparently, these white dwarfs, if you were to take a teaspoon of a white dwarf, it would weigh 15 tons. And uh, apparently, uh, our sun is going to go through a similar process. Uh, people speculate or people uh, do science to figure out. Uh, about, f- uh, what is it? I want to make sure I get it right. Five billion years. So don't hold your breath. But apparently, uh, our sun is going to go through this process in about five billion years. So, so and if, if Earth isn't engulfed by this, this red giant... Uh, apparently, it will likely disintegrate as it falls toward the gravita- gravitational pull of the, of the white dwarf that will form afterwards. So that's all really, really fascinating. I mean, that, I mean that's perfectly interesting, right? I mean, a teaspoon that weighs, uh, what was it again? 15 tons. But what's even more interesting, or at least as interesting, is, is the interpretation of some of this data. Uh, one of the astronomers who's uh, looking at all this information said this, all, all this reinforces the idea that we are in a much more hostile environment than we sometimes imagine. Reinforces the idea that we are in a much more hostile environment than, than we sometimes imagine. Uh, the, the secular answer to why does the universe continue to exist at least as far as the earth is concerned, is because our sun hasn't run out of hydrogen yet. The answer in Hebrews is much deeper and much more personal. The answer to why does the universe continue to exist is Jesus. So we start to see a continuing theme as we go through these roles, and and that's the deity of Christ, the godness of of Jesus. Jesus' deity is clear in the fact that He created the universe, uh, something we can never do anything close to uh, re- recreating. Uh, Jesus' deity is clear in the fact that He's the brightness of God's glory. Uh, his deity is clear in that He's the exact representation, uh, the exact imprint of God's nature. And, and now Jesus' deity is clear as the one who sustains, not just creates, but sustains the universe by the by the word of His power. 
the Bible's claims about God are absolutely astounding. And they're astounding on both ends of the spectrum. Because if someone asks you, how did, or when did your God reveal himself to you most clearly? How did he reveal himself to you most clearly? Well, the answer is a baby, which we're all anticipating, celebrating, and rejoicing in here in a, in a few weeks. That's astounding. Right? But the natural follow-up question to that is, well, how far does his authority reach? Uh, what is the extent of his power? Well, our sun has enough hydrogen uh, to keep running for another f- five billion years. That, that's a lot of power. The Son of God upholds the universe filled with countless suns with the word of his power. So the answer to what are the limits of his power? There are no limits. Jesus is God. What does it mean that he upholds the universe? The word uphold is interesting to look at. It carries with it a sense of of, of bringing or, or bearing something or carrying something. So for example, uh, the people who carried uh, the man on the bed to Jesus. Or, or when, when Paul writes to Timothy uh, in, in 2 Timothy and he asks Timothy to bring him a cloak and books. There, there's a sense of, of active and, and personal control in this, this word upholding. Jesus carries the universe along. Uh, the universe continues to function in a way that, that conforms to God's purposes as, as He brings it, as He carry, carries it. So, so we're discovering planets that, that are disintegrating 570 light years from us, and Jesus is orchestrating planets disintegrating 570 light years from us. He's, he's planning it. He, he's ensuring that, that it takes place at the exact moment that He planned it. Again, Colossians 1 that was read earlier, He is before all things, and in Him... All things hold together. Jesus sustains all the universe, and in Him all things hold together. Just a couple other very relevant questions that we never ask ourselves. Why does water continue to act like water? Ever think about that? Why does dirt continue to act like dirt? Why do we assume that tomorrow, water isn't going to take on the properties of dirt, and dirt is going to take on the properties of water. That has huge implications for, for me, someone coming from Minnesota, the land of 10,000 lakes, 10,000 dirt piles. How do we know that the water is going to take, how do we know that water is, why is water going to keep acting like water? The best answer, if you're ignoring God, is, well, I did yesterday. Christians behold the astounding power of God. Everything from stars and planets in the Virgo constellation to the red and white blood cells running through your body are held together by Christ's sustaining power. If Christ stops His sustaining activity, everything will cease except for the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We, we recognize and we rest in the fact that because Christ personally and purposefully sustains the universe continually, the universe will reach its end and its goal as determined by God. So things aren't out of control. 
that are being sustained moment by moment. And even in the times of greatest desperation, when it things, seems like things are out of control, 129 people killed in terroristic attacks, we rest and we, we recognize that there is a powerful, loving, sovereign God who can even work evil for good. And that is how we pray for Paris. What's astounding about human beings is that the very breath that Jesus sustains in our lungs to carry oxygen through our bloodstreams, that very breath we use to deny God. And that fact leads us to the seventh role of Jesus, namely, Jesus as priest. Uh, as we look at these eight roles, uh, this, this is potentially the one that doesn't quite match. Uh, we, we can maybe understand, okay, yeah, his role as the son, uh, the heir of all things, uh, the creator, the radiance, the representative, the sustainer of the universe, the king of all. But here we have something unexpected. Jesus as priest, the one who made purification for sins. It's it's surprising. Yet on the other hand, if if we're paying attention to the other roles and what what they communicate as as we combine them together, perhaps it's not quite so surprising. What does it tell us about God that Jesus is priest? That Jesus makes purification for sins? Well, we we've been through the fact that Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature. We've we've been through that. He he represents God perfectly. So, so what is God's nature? Well, we've gotten some hints so far. Uh, God's glory radiates outward like light, not like a vacuum sucking in. It radiates out like light. A month ago, we considered the fact of, of God as a son of, of a father, that, that God is not like a single bachelor, right? He was more like a father who loves his son. This is what God's nature is like. This is what Jesus reveals to us, at least in these few verses that we're looking at. We could look many more other places. Uh, we, we would expect a non-Trinitarian God, right, who, who has existed in solitude uh, for eternity past, to respond to human sin with cold, hard justice. That would make sense. But this is not the Christian God. Instead, the world is engaged with a love as warm and pure as that of a perfect Father. Jesus, God's Son, uh, as radiance and as exact representative, shows us what the God of the universe is like. We know more clearly than anyone did long ago in the times that represented long ago. We know better what that God is like we know we know we know much more how he how he thinks how he speaks and how he relates to people because of God's son in, in Jesus we find that there there was an eternity of love to draw on as God took on flesh and stood in the place of sinners absorbing God's wrath in our place and if you will repent and turn from your sins and, and trust in Christ as perfect sacrifice 
and, and perfect righteousness in your place. You can have purification for sins today. That's, that's the good news of the Gospel. You can be forgiven today. What, but what does it mean to make purification for sins? Jesus makes purification for sins. Well, it's important to know we're, more, we're unlike God in more than just one way, right? We're, we're unlike God in the fact that uh, His power compared to our power, uh, there, there really is no comparison. We're, we're not like God when we compare our power. But there's other ways in which we're not like God. Perhaps even more importantly, we are not like God in our moral nature. So whereas God is completely pure and clean and righteous to His core, He's a Father loving His Son, we find something much different in ourselves. Because even if we manage to put on a good front on the outside, our rottenness is exposed if we're honest about what we're like on the inside. You understand that you are radically out of line, out of step with God's character and divine purposes for your life when you consider your judgmental, self-righteous thoughts about other people, your, your families, neighbors, maybe church members. Uh, you understand that you're radically out of step with God's character and God's purpose for your life when you consider the anger that wells up in your heart when, when you're not treated with the utmost dignity and worthiness. Uh, you, you understand that you're radically out of step with God's character as you consider the aching longing in your heart for material things that, that make life finally worth living. Or, or when you consider the, the dehumanizing lust for people who are not your spouse. Uh, at some points, our, our corruption reveals itself to be not just on the inside, but it comes out on the outside. Just, just consider the degree to which this, this last week uh, you spent time treating people as objects that existed to please you as opposed to people in the image of God who exist for you to prefer and put first and to serve. Jesus makes purification for sin. Uh, what are we to make of purification for sins? Uh, as we look at the whole Bible, uh, we, we can get some help here. What, what were the Israelites supposed to, uh, what were they supposed to conclude as they read through Leviticus or as they heard Leviticus read to them, as, as they read about all those cleanness and purification laws in Leviticus? Uh, what were they to make of the repeated act, the repeated practice of, of coming to the priest and bringing animal after animal after animal for slaughter and for blood and for sacrifice. What were, what were the descendants of Aaron, who were the people who were supposed to, uh, they were delegated to serve in the tabernacle and in, and in the temple, to serve in God's presence, what were they to conclude from the fact that they were not allowed to serve in the Holy of Holies if they had any blemish on them whatsoever? Even, even if they were born... With, with a hunchback, or if they were born as a dwarf, and, and it gives all these, other, all these other defects. They weren't even allowed to serve in the Holy of Holies. What, what were they to conclude from that? We, we need to understand what they were supposed to conclude from that but in order so we can understand what we should conclude from, from all that. What, what was all that supposed to tell them? Was it supposed to tell them that God only shows love to, to perfect people? 
No. But they were to conclude that they were dirty. That they were unclean. We are unclean. It's the sobering reality that we fall utterly short of God's glory and purity and holiness. But God shows love to imperfect, unclean people. Not even that. God wasn't even content to leave us with a whole host of laws that we weren't able to keep and and to continue to make sacrifices day after day, year after year, making them over and over. He, He wasn't content with a priesthood that continued generation after generation after generation. Jesus came as the perfect priest to offer Himself as the perfect sacrifice for sin once and for all so that we can be clean. Jesus made purification for sin so that you could be clean. So that you could live, live, not just enter for a few moments, live in the holy of holiness, holy of holies, in in the presence of the God who created the universe forever. Jesus made purification for sins. So, so as the Old Testament priests stood and stood and stood and stood offering sacrifices, Jesus made one sacrifice. He offered himself for sins. And, and when the cosmic creator and the sustainer of the universe offers himself as a sacrifice for sins, uh, there is no need for any more sacrifices to be made. Praise God. From the cross, Jesus cried, it is finished. Praise God. So next, we turn our attention to where in particular Jesus sat. Namely, at the right hand of the majesty on high. We we turn finally to Jesus as King. Jesus as King. Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Uh, what's the significance of the right hand of the majesty on high? Well, well, throughout the Bible, uh, according to uh, Tom Schreiner, uh, the right hand of God is associated with power, protection, and triumph. Power, protection, and triumph. And, and this makes sense as, as we consider the different roles that we've seen a, of Jesus already. Uh, the right hand of God is the place of highest honor. It's interesting, Jesus actually anticipated ascending to this place after taking his last breath, even as he was on trial before the chief priests and the scribes. We read in Luke 22, Jesus says, But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. And Paul recognizes this as well in Philippians 2. God writes that God has highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name that is above all Names. So what are the implications of the fact that Jesus is at the place of highest honor? He's, he's been given the name above all names. What are the implications of that for us? Well, it has huge implications. All this power and protection and, and triumph, we find that the priest is the king. The priest is the king. So consider the link in the text here. Right, This is the end of verse 3. After 
making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. After he made purifications, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So there's an unbreakable connection between Jesus as priest and Jesus' role as king. You can't break that connection. So the way we understand this is that if you have Jesus as your Savior, Jesus also becomes your Lord. Or to put it in the negative, if you do not recognize Jesus as your King, you you do not enjoy the benefits of having Jesus as as your priest and perfect sacrifice for sin. That's an unbreakable connection. As Christians, as a Christian, you joyfully acknowledge Jesus' authority over your finances, over all your possessions, over your, your family, your, your career, over your gender role, over your sexuality, over all, all of your thoughts. He's, he's at the right hand of the majesty on high. Christians joyfully acknowledge Jesus' authority over how you handle your anger, how you handle your joy, how you handle your depression, how you handle bitterness towards other people. Jesus' authority has huge implications as we consider how we talk about other people when they're not around. As we consider who we submit to and those to whom we don't submit. Christians joyfully acknowledge Jesus' authority over over who you marry and who you don't marry. What you eat and drink and what you don't eat and drink. Who you associate with and those with whom you don't associate. Indeed, how you identify yourself and how you don't identify yourself. All these things fall underneath the authority of Jesus as King. But even as we consider this, there, this, is, not, this is not bad news for Christians to, to recognize Jesus' authority over every square inch of our lives. Uh, th- this is not bad news because remember, everything that we've already said about Jesus is still true. Right? God's authority is not cold and, and self-serving. God exercises authority as a kind and loving Father. Th- that is incredibly good news even when every one of our hormones is screaming something that doesn't line up with the character of God, that doesn't line up with what God has revealed in His Word. That is incredibly good news, even as painful as it is to put to death those things in us that seem good to us, but that are contrary to God, what God identifies as sin. We can trust that God exercises His Absolute and complete authority for our good. Uh, years ago, I was, uh, I don't even remember exactly where I was, but I, I was listening to a message. Uh, I, w- I was present at, at somewhere, and, and the speaker, uh, it was a Christian message, and, and the speaker uh, was giving a message on Jesus, and the whole message, he referred to Jesus as King Jesus. So it seemed about every other sentence, King Jesus. Do you, do you, do you know King Jesus? Do you know what King 
Jesus did. And, and it kind of turned me off a little bit. I, I was just a little bothered by it. I don't, I don't know why. I just wasn't uh, familiar with the title or I just didn't resonate with it. King Jesus. But as I've reflected on that over a few years, I, I've actually come to love the term King Jesus. As I consider the, the inadequacy of every single human authority that I, I might rightly submit to, I, I long for the day when King Jesus rule is, is clear to all and, and, and sin is no more. Both, both the sin that I observe in every, and, and other people every day uh, and also the sin that I know still exists in my own rebellious heart. I, I long for the day when it's nothing but King Jesus. So, so of all the roles that fall, fall underneath God as Son, that was the first role. And in a sense, that, that occupies the supreme place. All these other roles fall underneath the, God's role, Jesus' role as, as God's Son. Um, it, it's, a, it's appropriate that, that we looked at. We, we started with Jesus as the heir of all things, and we end with Jesus as the one who's seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus as heir and Jesus as king. Jesus inherits all of this. Jesus is He's radiance of the glory of God. He's the exact imprint of God's nature. He sustains the universe. He's priest and He's King. The worth of, of, of God's majestic glory, of Jesus' majestic glory, the worth of all that does not just rest in what He does. And we've been through what He does. Jesus created the world. Jesus, He sustains the universe. He, he inherits all things. He, he makes purification for sins. He sits down at the right hand of the majesty on high. But the worth of Jesus' majestic glory doesn't just rest in what He does. It also rests in who He is. Jesus is the Son of God. He is the radiance of God's glory. He's the exact imprint of God's nature. Uh, in these verses, it's, reiter it's reiterated again that God's nature is outward focused. It's, it's overflowing. God is life-giving. We see in Jesus the essential, His essential unity with God as He upholds the universe by the word of His power. We, we, we see His, his uh, union as, as He's the radiance of the glory of God. We, we see His, his distinction as He's the re exact representation of God's nature. We see Him demonstrate this on a cosmic level as He creates and sustains the universe. We see it on a personal level as He makes purification for sins. And finally, we see the implications of all this as He inherits a place as King Jesus and sits down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. I ended the last sermon a month ago asking, is Christianity cold this is a great text to look for because it speaks of God's nature, what God's really like. And that specifically in Jesus, we find God's nature. And thus we also find that in Christianity alone, we have a substitutionary sacrifice for undeserving sinners. True forgiveness and true cleanness. 
we also find the most wonderful display of authority you can possibly imagine. The authority is absolute authority, and it's lived out in a way that is others-preferring. So today, is Christmas even worth celebrating with, with all the negative aspects? It's incredibly important to note that the inauguration of the Christmas season did not start two weeks ago uh, with Caribou's new seasonal holiday drinks. The, the Christmas season was inaugurated 2,000 years ago. The Christmas season, the Christmas season of joy started with a change. A change from long ago to in these last days. A change from God speaking to our fathers to God speaking to us. A a change from God speaking by the prophets to God speaking to us by His Son. And a change from God speaking at many times and in many ways to God speaking finally and definitively by His Son. The Son of God will be worthy of our worship long after the 600 billion dollar Christmas industry is gone, long after our our controversies both in the public square and and at your dinner table, He will be worthy of our worship long after our trivial attempts to make Christmas about Jesus. Christmas is Jesus. But as our text indicates, everything, everything is about Jesus. Jesus. So, what, what better way to end by considering the lyrics of a great Christmas hymn. Joy to the world, the Lord King Jesus is come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare Him room. And heaven and nature sing. Joy to the world. The Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. While fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. No more let sins and sorrows grow. Nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make His blessings flow. Far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. Wide and and deep. He rules the world with truth and grace. And He makes the nations prove the glories of His righteousness. And He makes them prove the wonders of His love. The wonders, the wonders, the wonders of God's love. Let's pray. God, we are not worthy of the joy. We're not worthy of of the joy that uh, we claim to celebrate as we approach this time of year. God, we rejoice in the fact that Your Son has infinite, majestic glory. 
Your Son is the heir of all things, including ourselves. He created the universe. He's the radiance of Your glory. He's the exact representation, the exact imprint of Your nature. He is our priest. He is our perfect sacrifice. He is our King. God, would, would our hearts resonate with this so much more? And as we worship King Jesus, as we do now, awaiting for Him to come again when worship will be perfect, God, allow this to infiltrate and conquer every area of our lives and every inch of our hearts. Joy to the world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.